is chilling. What more can I say? Top villain. What's up, everybody? This is your man, Bill Bellamy. Welcome to the hottest podcast in the nation. This is Top Billing. It is for the movement, the discussion, and the culture. Today, I am so excited to bring to my fans one of the most, I want to say, prolific, creative, cultural icons in the game when it comes to this music thing. Growing up on the Upper East Side of New York City, his whole life has been influenced by hip-hop. From the original creators of hip-hop, from that moment in the early 70s, 80s to now, he just keeps climbing, keeps winning. He has hit singles. He travels the world. He's been at the White House. He's performed for every superstar on the planet, and he's here for us today. Can I get some noise for DJ Cassidy, everybody? Can we, can we, can we, can we welcome? Can we welcome the pimp, the player, ha, to the game? What's up, Cassidy? What an incredible introduction, I, Bill. Bro, I got I to gotta big you up, man. I, I hope to. I don't let people down after you, you that. You will not. I know they will not be let down, man. We have been witnessing your climb, bro. And I have personally been witnessing it. And I just find it phenomenal. Like, I'm one of those guys that love to see their friends win. Like, I, I'm not, I've never been a hater. I've never been a hater. Like, my people win, I win. Because I'm like, you show, you show me and you show others that it is possible. Well, let me tell you something mm -hmm. that I don't think you know. What's certainly that? is not in my bio. Okay. Certainly not in your notes. Right. In the summer of 1997, correct me if I'm off. It could have been 96, 96 okay. or 97. Mm -hmm. I was interning for Def Jam Records. Cool. And guess what that summer was all about at Def Jam? How to be a player. How to be a player. <laughs> So oh, that's all summer long, okay. what did I do? I stuffed folders of 8x10s and CD samplers and various press kits my entire summer. Was it 96 or 97? It was, it was, it was 96 going into 97 because the so, movie came out in 97. Okay. Absolutely so, right. So my entire summer was how to be a player. So you basically had a Bill Bellamy summer. I'm responsible for all the press that the movie received. What? All the press came through my fingers. How did you get that job? I what made all the press kits. No way. <laughs> I was the press kit <laughs> creator, <laughs> coordinator. And back in the it's day, very you good had title to have for a an intern, press kit coordinator. Yeah. Press kit coordinator. That means you in a room with a bunch of press kits and a bunch of paper and you putting them together. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. I was a human Kinko's. Yes. So <laughs> Absolutely. So for a hip-hop kid to be working yes. at Def Jam Records. How old were you at that moment? Like uh, 15, 16. And you you already on and, your grind. And and this is when Def Jam was on Varick Street. Remember Varick Street? You must have been to that office. I was a hundred times. Okay, so, you know, this is when Russell still worked at the office. Lior was at the office every day. Julie Greenwald was head of marketing. Absolutely. Rhonda was there. Oh, yeah. Rhonda Cowan, <laughs> Kevin Lyles. Kevin Lyles. Gotti. Yeah. The source was right upstairs. Yep. Or, right? Right? Yep. Right? Okay. So this was like an epic this place to be. great moment in hip-hop. And that was... Um, you know, a special summer. Mm -hmm. And um, every time Russell came in with the two phones, you know, the pager and the phone, uh, it was just so mind-blowing to watch Russell Simmons walk into that office yeah, he and had, be him. He was being Russell at all times. Like, I would do, 
I would do meetings with him. He was managing me. Like, if it went from him putting me on Def Comedy Jam, right, to actually being my manager. And I never heard anybody curse in a meeting. Like, he, you know, I thought there was, like, regular protocol, but he was always Russell. He'd be like, yo, you got to get this nigga all about, all the money. He deserve it. He's everything. He's the culture. He got to get the fucking money. Um, hello? He get right on the phone. <laughs> hello? Yep. Two phones. Hello? Yeah. <laughs> Yep, exactly. So, you know, so, you know, it's an incredible summer. But I just wanted to set this off by letting you know that you are an important piece. Thank you, brother. Of one cog in the wheel that was responsible for for creating DJ Cassidy. And um, you wasn't even thinking about DJing at this time. Oh, no, at that time, I've already. It's not even happening. It's just you're emerged in the music, right? No, I had already been a DJ for six years when I was nine years old. I asked my parents for two turntables and a mixer, and for my 10th birthday, received the greatest gift of all time. So when I was interning at Def Jam, I was already DJ Cassidy. Okay. And a few years later, I didn't know at that time, but I would truly come into my own by the time I was 18, 19. Nice. And here's, here's what's really interesting about you. I feel like you've always been, like, in the building, right here, right there, but over the last, I want to say the last seven to eight years, it's like you locked in. Something happened. What What do you think was the thing that just tipped it over where now not only are you welcomed and getting the flowers that you deserve, but you're in the building for real now, like in a real way? I think there's so many more than one um, incidents or one thing I could... Right. I could list 20 things throughout my career that were career defining. Mm-hmm. And one thing I always say is that I'm so blessed to be able to say that I have many career defining moments. Give me one. Interning at Def Jam was one. Interning for Tommy and Andy Hilfiger also as a young kid was also career defining because working at Hilfiger in the 90s was like working at a record label. Yes, it was. It was just raw. A res- <laughs> It was a revolving door of hip-hop stars at all times. So if you worked for Tommy and Andy Hilfiger, you were folding polos and rugbies for Ghost and for Raekwon and for Q-Tip and for Snoop and everyone who came into the office. Absolutely. I was in that office. And Tommy and Andy were uh, two of the first reputable people Mm -hmm. to take me seriously as DJ Cassidy. And they would bring me out into the scene of New York, to Andre Harrell white parties at Tavern on the Green. And no one knew me. No one knew who I was or what I was doing. But I remember one summer, Andy Hilfiger and Peter Paul Scott brought me to Tavern on the Green to an Andre Harrell white party. And Kid Capri was DJing and Andre got on the mic. Okay. (laughs) And I was a young kid. And I'm standing in the corner watching this. And I said, one day, I'm going to rock a party like this with Andre on the mic. And years later, Andre became a very dear friend of mine. Mm -hmm. His cousin, O'Neal McKnight, is my best friend in the world. And Andre, before he passed, was a, a true mentor of mine and a true friend. And I remember that night with Andy and Peter Paul just watching Kid Capri and Andre and saying to myself, it wouldn't get any better in life than being there in that slot oh, behind the turntables. Oh my God. 
And I went on to do that many, many times. So that was career defining. The night I met Puffy when I was 18 years old. Yeah, that's 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 an incredible moment you need to tell people about when the night you met Puff. Well, so it was I was 18, 19 years old. It was one summer, either 18, 19, and I was getting hot in New York City finally. And I was doing the hot spots in New York. But maybe I wasn't doing the hot nights, but the hot spots. But you were still there. But I was there. You're on your way. But I was there. <laughs> I was you know? There. I wanted the Tuesday, but I got the Wednesday. You All know right. <laughs> So one night I'm DJing at a club called Lotus. You remember Lotus? Yeah, yeah, I do. Okay, so this is Lotus in the meatpacking district in New York City. This is when it was still meatpacking. There were like meat lockers. There was you one could smell club. the meat. You could smell the meat. There was one club. There's a KRS-One video, I'm forgetting which one, where it all takes place in front of these meat locks. And you can see 14th Street and 13th Street. And now it's like, you know, nightlife now, haven, Taurus oh Central. Oh, man, come on. So different. So- I'm at Lotus, which is the hottest new club in New York, way back when. And, you know, it was an off night. And it was also a rainy night. And I'm downstairs, which was not the hot place to be. And I didn't know Puffy was there. But at 3 in the morning, I see him walk from, like, the shadows of the corner to the dance floor. Right. And I just happened to be playing the classic soul music of the 70s and 80s, particularly late 70s, early 80s. So I don't remember exactly, but I'm playing, you know, Luther, Shaka, Frankie oh. Beverly, Michael Stevie, et cetera. And I just remember him dancing almost by himself for two hours. I remember the manager of Lotus coming up to me and saying, I assume you want to keep playing because it was now like way past 4 a.m. Mm -hmm. And I, I was like, yes. <laughs> and, you know, at this time, 2000, 2001, like, you know, Diddy ran the city. Yeah. Um, there's no other way to explain it. Puffy was the king of New York. A Puffy party was, was the party. Bananas. You, you had to go. You had to go and you probably oh, you couldn't heard go. About it. And yeah. you probably couldn't go. <laughs> so Absolutely. He starts walking out. Now it's 5 a.m. And he walks past the DJ booth. And you know, when I was 18, I looked like I was eight. And so Because you still got a baby <laughs> face. <laughs> and so he looks at me and he goes, Where's the DJ? So I say, I'm the DJ. And he goes, who's been here all night playing all these classics? I say, me. So he takes out a business card, flips it over, gets a pen, and writes down a cell phone number, 917-something. And he says, call me tomorrow. So I was a freshman at NYU. <laughs> so the next day I wake up, I do everything in my power to procrastinate this phone call. Your heart is beating, bro. So it's like when you have to, like, you know... It's like in school when you had to write a paper, right? First, you take out the books, you lay them out. Mm -hmm. Then you take out like, you know, like all your notes, you lay it out. Then you get a drink, you put it on the table. And like you do everything you can like to not sit down and start the homework, <laughs> right? I was so nervous, I didn't want to call. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to go to one class, go to another class. I get out of a class, I finally call and it goes straight to voicemail. So I hang up, I wait another minute, I call again. So the voice message is, God is the greatest. Beep. <laughs> and I was like, uh, hi, uh, this is DJ Cassidy. We met last night. It was the most inarticulate, unsavvy, Because uncool. you was nervous as fuck, bro. I was so nervous. Absolutely. So I thought he's never coming back. It was a moment. Maybe I'll see him again. I go to class. I get out of the next class. I'm walking to the train to go home. I live with my mom still. And I have a voice note from Cheryl Fox Spencer, who's an old friend 
of his and still in his life, in my life. And she says, hi, I'm calling for DJ Cassidy on behalf of Sean Puffy Combs. Please call him back at the office. So I'm freaking out. I don't want to do it from the street. So now I take the train home. I ran in the door. (laughs) Mom, he called back. Leave me alone. Shut the door. Okay, center myself. Call back. She picks up. And she puts him on the phone right away. And he goes, he goes, Playboy. Um, how old did you say you were? Right. I say, 18. And he says, um, you're a white boy, right? I say, yeah. He says, how do you know how to play those records like that? Right, right, right. How you know those hits? And I say, like what? And he goes, like you lived them. Oh, that's gangster. And I'll always remember that. I said, he said, how do you play those records like that? I said, like what? And he goes, like you live them. I will never forget it. It's one of the um, highest compliments anyone's ever paid me. And I think it really, it really changed my life. I never knew at that point that I played anything in a special way of any kind. And he was the first to tell me that. And a week later, I was playing his party for the MTV Awards. 19. No, 2001. So he had an album coming out, The Saga Continues, Bad Boy for Life, and all those songs. And And that was like the hottest record out. It was it was Bad Boy for Life and H to the Izzo were the two hottest Oh, I remember that that summer. summer. And the two songs were the same tempo. So we all played them together. Shit, you just took me back. And so Wow. I was doing the brothers. Exactly. <laughs> I remember right well. I know when exactly. that shit came out. Well, and that's the great thing about when we talk about songs of the moment. We yeah. all remember either the club or what we were doing, what, what we, we had were on. filming, where we were working, what we were wearing. Anyway, long story short, I told the long version of that story, but I ended up in the hottest party of the year. And suddenly I'm DJing in a room that was like, TRL had come to life at this party. It's like it's like Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, NSYNC, Backstreet, Eminem, Dre, Ja Rule, Nelly, and it's the hottest MTV oh, party. And God. he put me on and I just I couldn't I couldn't believe I was there and that certainly is a career defining. Bro, moment. but listen, listen. Here's a here's the <clears> thing that I want the people that are listening to to get out of this interview, right? You have always been in the midst of your greatness. Like, it's interesting. It, it, you remind me of a kid that um, was always in the boxing gym until he became a fighter. Like, he would, he cleaned up the boxing gym. He, you know, he put the, get the, all the fighters water. He got made sure all the tape was there. You were always around the game. And then all of a sudden, you just emerged into it. Like, in a way that was so authentic. Because you're, you're a sponge, I can tell. Because the way I've heard your parties, it's like the music that you play, it's emotional, bro. I'm happy you said that because when people ask me about DJing and what yes. makes a DJ great and, mm-hmm. um, you know, how do you choose what you play? No matter what kind of music you play, I think that my craft yeah. is all about emotion. All about emotion. It's taking people on an emotional journey. Now, sometimes when people hear the word emotion, they think of sadness. That's not at all accurate in my mind. Emotion can be 
can be sexy, mm -hmm. it can be violent, yeah. it can be aggressive. You know, those moments like at the tunnel, you know, the famous tunnel on ah. Sunday night in New York City. So that was- Or like when you say violent, I just think of M.O.P. <laughs> right. And he up. Right, so I never went to the tunnel on a Sunday night, right? It was just on the cusp, I was too young, but I what? followed it obviously, right, as a never New Yorker. To the tunnel. I was never there on a Sunday, but- Damn. But you know records like DMX, Get At Me Dog, at yeah. the tunnel, right? Yes. And that's aggressive, but that's emotion. Yeah. And so what music does on a dance floor is create emotion. Mm -hmm. And I've always loved music that creates emotion. Any kind of emotion. Now, I have a, I have a pet peeve with DJs, right? Some of these new DJs, when they're spinning and doing whatever they do, you, they'll get you in a vibe and cut the song off in a minute and 12 seconds, and you and you don't even get a chance. You're already feeling it, and they cut, and they cut, and they cut. What I like about you is you continue the feeling. Like, you don't, you don't make people just leave after this song. Oh, that's my song, and then you go to another song and kill the vibe. You, make, you extend <laughs> that emotion, which is beautiful. Is well, that first on of all, is thank that, you. Is that on purpose? Um, yeah, I think, I think, I think, of course. Yeah. I think anything I do when I'm DJing is on purpose at yeah. this point. Okay. And I also think that when you feel a song is being cut off, mm -hmm. I don't think that you dislike the length of a song that was played. I think you dislike what was played after. Because if that mm. emotion was carried through, you wouldn't care if someone played a chorus of a song and then dropped another yeah, song. Yeah, but they but they don't know that shit you chorus. know. That's what I'm saying. That's why you that's why you are who you are because you know the emotion. If 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 the emotion was a sexy mo emotion and all the stuff that you played was sexy, it don't matter that way. What I'm talking about is DJs that'll be playing a sexy song and then cut to like uh uh <laughs> something that just you just go ah. Right. I hate when I'm playing listen to something I'm like man right. what you it's all about a journey you know yeah. the emotion of music is mm -hmm. like the tempo of music right as a dj you can't play something that's 90 beats per minute mm -hmm. and then play something that's 110 beats per minute you have to gradually ascend ascend to that tempo absolutely so in a given 2 hours a dj like myself or anyone can take you on a journey of emotion but you have to gradually bring people from one emotion to the next. Now, if someone were to ask me, well, what's your emotion of choice? If right. you could only... What's your favorite? <laughs> if you could only... If you had to commit to one emotion okay, for which, any given two hours, I would say the emotion of celebration. If I had to nice. define what I do in one sentence, which I would never want to do because I think that what I do is multi-dimensional. But, but if I was forced gun to my head, I would say that my sound is the sound of celebration. And all genres of music create songs of celebration. Absolutely. And of life and living it to the fullest. Exactly. R&B mm. certainly does. I don't mm. need to explain that. But mm. hip hop does and electronic music does and rock music does. I think when people come together to party and to dance. Yes. There's nothing like the sound of celebration. And just to bring this back to the story that I told um, a few minutes ago, I've analyzed that night with Puffy for many, many years. And, mm -hmm. you know, only he could tell you what he saw in me and why he hired me a week later for the biggest party of the year and why I continue to play his party. Absolutely. Just to put this in perspective, that year, 
that I met him. I DJed his 32nd birthday weekend in Miami, but I also DJed his 50th birthday two years ago. So that's how long it's been. Absolutely. But when I think about that night that I met him, I think about what could he possibly have been so drawn to? And something about the sound of celebration drew him to me that night because that's what I was playing. And, you know, I would have defined myself at that moment as a hip hop DJ. But it was that music, the soul music, the R&B music, the right. funk music, the disco music of that era, the 70s and 80s, that, that drew him to me. And that from that point on drew a lot of people that I looked up to, to me. Right. And just by the natural course of nature, in many circles, that sound became my signature sound. Absolutely. And also, I think what, um, if knowing Puff now probably 30 years... <clears throat> I would think one of the things that attracted him to you was that you have an ear and so does he. He has an ear for music, you know. Look at his career. Look how many artists he has made stars, how many produced records he has been on, you know, whether he whether whether he was a sample, whether it was a remix. Puff was in the mix with it. And so probably like just listening to you tell that story when he's listening, he's probably like, yo, whoever's playing this knows some shit. And you, you remind me of a story I heard about Michael Jackson. Um, Michael Jackson was like eight years old. Smokey Robinson told me this story. And um, uh, he wrote this song, uh, Who's Loving You for Stevie Wonder to sing. Because Stevie was older, this, that, and the other. Mike was eight years old. So somebody came in there and said, you know what? How about you let Michael Jackson try to, to sing? They were like, he can't sing that song. He's eight years old. He don't know nothing about that emotion. That's a heartbreak. That's this, that, and the other. It's impossible. Eight years old. That's who's loving you. Who's loving you was sung by Michael Jackson from an eight-year-old with the passion, with the, the energy and the emotion of heartbreak. Never experienced it before. That's what you remind me of right now when I listen to you. You've already lived it. Like, it's it's like when you're gifted, there ain't no space for you. Ain't no, like, there's no constriction on, on the gift. Well, I learned everything that I do from the greats. I studied them, mm-hmm. and once I was old enough or had the access to hear them in person, right. I seized every moment. Um, everything I do is a combination of 10 or so people. I don't, um, I don't claim to have invented anything. I'm me, and I put everything that inspired me together in a blender. Right. But, <laughs> and made the sauce. <laughs> but, but, but those ingredients mm. are who I am. You know, I'm a product of, in, in, um, I'm going uh, 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 um, to try to say in chronological order, I'm a product of DJ Hollywood, um, Grandmaster Flash, Africa Bambada, Cool Herc, Lovebug Starsky. <sighs> Kid Capri, SNS, Dougie Fresh, Andre Harrell, and Puff Daddy. Those 10 or so people, and MC Frank Jigga, who was an MC in New York City who played all the hip-hop parties and who I did a lot of parties with, and he passed away a couple years ago. But without DJ Hollywood, I'm going to say him again, without DJ Hollywood, Lovebug Starsky, Cool Herc, Africa Bimbada, Grandmaster Flash, Kid Capri, SNS, Funkmaster Flex, Dougie Fresh, Andre Harrell, and Puff Daddy. I don't know how to rock turntables or a microphone. Bro, that's that's all you needed right there because all those guys you mentioned are iconic P 
people and and they're game changer people to me. You know, all those guys that influenced your career, they put an imprint on you. And so I got the same type of thing that you've had influences that like are there. Like if you put me together, they, they're in me, you yeah. know, from Red Fox yeah. to Richard Pryor to Eddie Murphy, uh, George Carlin, yeah. Robin Williams. You know what I mean? These are guys that I admired. Like I didn't even know I was going to become a comic, but I knew all these guys were so fucking funny. And I was like, if I could just get a sprinkle right. of that. And that's what you just relate to me i feel the energy of that and what a way to give them their flowers right because you are very nostalgic you know what i mean your music like you said it makes people feel uh, an emotion whether it's celebration whether it's fun whether it's party but more more importantly you make people feel good well thank you that's the goal. you got my ass through the pandemic because i was like shit wasn't when the next pastor mike god damn it do every day well it's funny because <laughs> when i I got a call from Dougie Fresh at some point in the past the mic. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, two-year run. Um, run, which we're still in. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, Dougie and I are close friends. And that's a very surreal thing for me to say because I looked up to Dougie Fresh long before he knew who I was. Long before. Right. Didn't and even know you would become cool. Didn't know. No, I didn't know I'd become cool, and he didn't know I existed. Um <laughs> But Dougie is, you know, a legitimate friend of mine. I, I truly love Great Doug. Great guy. Greatest. He's greatest. one of the nicest people in the world, bro. And even though his first record, the show in Lottie Dottie, came out in 85, Dougie was in it from the very beginning. Facts. And was like the mayor of Harlem and in the center of it all. And his career is inspiring in and of itself. How many decades he spans and continues... <sighs> to really be at the center of celebration. And, and, you know, Dougie called me after one of the episodes and said, I can hear everyone who inspired you. And it's a beautiful thing because Dougie lived, all those people I mentioned, he, he lived it. Right, right there. And That's so what I'm saying. It's dope, man. He said to me, you know, I see every little thing, you know, where it came from and how you made it your own. And it was another beautiful compliment that I'll always remember. And... um. And, you know, I'm very clear with Doug. I say, Doug, my um, passion for bringing um, musical artists Correct. whom I admire together in a unique way is all him. It's all Dougie Fresh. Dougie Fresh is the original aggregator. You go to a <laughs> Dougie Fresh show and it's one it's surprise guest yes. after another. And that's all past the mic is in a new way, um, a new format. Facts. But in reality, it's so Dougie Fresh. But it's so, it, you know, it's such a, um, what I always liked uh, about past the mic that I, I'm glad I get a chance to say this to you is that it's almost like making the music come to life visually. Like, we know the songs, but you make them come to life visually when the artists sing them. It's just like so live. Like it just takes it, it takes it to a level like, oh shit. It makes you go, oh shit. I once saw in the beginning of Past the Mic. Right. So we'll take it back to the beginning. But before I tell you how it all came to be, you know, I remember it was episode two or three. Before mm -hmm. was a television series on BET. So the first three were the homegrown episodes. It was me and an editor. Um, and you either left a comment 
or post it on your story yeah, or I did. both. Oh, yeah, I did. I had to. It was crazy. And, you know, we knew each other. We'd say hello at a party, but not like that. And right, when right. I saw you <laughs> comment and post, I said, oh, this is actually something. Like, there's people in the hip-hop community yeah, that's that I don't it. really know, like, on a texting, phone call basis that are commenting and posting it. And that really, really took the way I looked at it to a different level. That's good. I knew the artists on the show, right? They were either my friends or people whom I knew, so I was able to get them on the phone. But when people you look up to in the coach are commenting and reposting, then you go, wait a minute. I'm on to something. Yeah, this is actually... Cause you start, cause you were, Something. cause you were post, you was, you would um post it, and I started, and then, and then we start dialoguing back and forth, and every time you, I, I, I always support you. I'm like, yo, Cassidy about to kill it again. He about to kill it again. You know what I'm saying? But that first initial one, I was like, yo, what the fuck is he doing? This shit is live as fuck. Like that was my initial feeling, and I put, I put my little fire sign. <laughs> I saw, I saw, Absolutely. and it was comments like that that mm. really kicked me in the ass and said, yo, Let's you go. have to do a volume two. Yeah. And then a volume three. And I could have never imagined that I'd be here two plus years later talking about a 10th and final episode. Um, 230 legendary artists have been on the show. <sighs> so 230 people on 10 episodes is a mind-boggling number for me to even think about. But what what what's so prolific about it to me is the life that you've given certain artists that people might not have been able to match the face with the music. They just know the songs. Well, the beautiful thing about Pass the Mic, in my opinion, um, one of the beautiful things yeah. is that it put every artist on an equal playing field. It's not competition. It's only love. So whether you sell out arenas or sold 10 million records, or had one song we know, or decades of albums. Yeah. Everyone's important to the history of music Absolutely. and the culture of hip-hop and R&B. And everyone contributed in their own special way. So for me, it started with the song. Okay. So no matter who you were, you were on past the mic for one verse and one chorus. Right. And, but but it, but the thing about it is now when I after I've had this interview with you and I'm really understanding it from a more um, intrinsic way is that you were able to do your connection through the emotion. So when you did pass the mic every time, you gave us an energy and that energy just carried through. That's what made it so live for me. I'm I'm saying oh shit like oh shit oh shit. Like, I'm like, what made him do that? Like, I I, I have, because I'm like an artist artist, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm like, what made Cassidy go there and get him and get her? And well, I, I put the shows together like a DJ set. Yeah. So first I came up with a theme or an era. Okay. And then I put together my dream DJ set. And I said, if I was, if I was manning the turntables at the greatest party. Ever. Ever. And... I could choose what artists were going to walk through the front door and I could pass them the mic from and the DJ booth. It. Who would it be? And I'd put together <laughs> my dream set. And one at a time, I reached out to the artists and I just kept hearing yes, 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 yes. And I, like, I just, 
you know, even when making this last episode, that's that's um, you know, that's about to air. It 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 never that feeling never got old. That feeling never got stale. It continued to be surreal when a hero of mine would pick up the phone and say yes. And those first three episodes, you know, were not on television. They were homegrown webcam right. episodes that I simply premiered on YouTube and they lived on it's YouTube. It's like you were shooting a pilot. Right. And there exactly. were three pilots. And, you know, to think that Earth, Wind & Fire set off, like, pilot one. And Run DMC set off pilot two. Oh. And Keith Sweat set off pilot three. Oh, my God. Um, you know, I will never take that for granted. You know, after volume two was my hip-hop edition. And let's see how many artists I can name in order. It went from Run to DMC to LL to Chuck D to Dougie Fresh. Damn. To rock him, to MC Shan, <laughs> killing to um, killing to um, um, audio two, top villain, um, <laughs> MC Light, MC Search, right. Eric Sermon, Black Sheep, uh, Pete Rock, Seal Smooth, Foosh Nickens, Chub Rock, Emmett, um, uh, 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 Young MC, Salt and Pepper, Arrested Development, Naughty by Nature. Um, I probably left at a few all on one show. And when the show ended, um, um, two things happened that I will never, ever forget. The first person to call my phone when that episode ended, its live premiere, was Run. No way. And I'm still in it. Like, I think my <laughs> webcam is still on because after I hit play on the live show, you know, on the show, Correct. I then go back to me live. And I'm like, oh, my God. Blah, blah, blah. Thank you for watching. And like, I'm still in the feed. Right. And it's run. And I literally pick up, I go off camera and I go, I go, my hero. And he goes, I'm so proud of you. And I started crying. It's one of the greatest moments in my Yo, life. Yo, man, you got to understand, man. Um, how do I say this? It's, 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 a, it's a blessing to have someone who is as authentic as you and you you love the culture it doesn't it's not about color it's about vibe it's about feeling right you are a child of the culture of hip-hop everything that it gave you sprinkled on you is in you and you are authentic that's why you went it's not like somebody came put this outfit on you put those fly glasses on you and told you you was Cassidy no you are Cassidy from when you was a shorty till now you found your gift and shared it with us that's really what it is it's like once you discovered your gift you shared it with us you shared it was it was like you gave back to the culture or you're giving back to the culture all that is given to you that's what I feel well, thank you. That's that's really, honestly, that's all I ever wanted to do mm -hmm. was contribute in some way. Oh my God! And 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 um, when I asked my parents for turntables, did they know what little uh, little nah, C no was about knew. to do? Nah, no one. You knew. just thought I you mean, was in the room. <laughs> yeah, you know. And back then, you know, this is before this is before this is before DJs took over the world. You know what I mean? Yeah, this, it's it's been about this, a twenty year. It's been a I want to say in the last fifteen years, something for DJs changed. It's just like with chefs. Yeah, many things changed. Many yeah. changed many about changed. how we perceive the DJ and how big they are. Your every I know in my phone right now. In my phone right now, I got. 
10 of the biggest DJs, just that I know, like that, like I can text and say, yo, you in Vegas, you, y'all everywhere, like ain't no more just at the tunnel or at mm -hmm. uh, Nails, no, y'all everywhere, you gonna be in Milan, and then you gonna go from the Mykonos, and then, you guys are international, you stay stamped up with your passport, doom, doom, and doom, I'm leaving doom. for Milan in about eight <laughs> hours, so it's funny you should say Milan, but, that's how it, that's so dope, it's worldwide now, you know, on every level, I was, I had a show um, in the Bahamas New Year's Eve about six years ago. Mm -hmm. And Grandmaster Flash's birthday is January 1st. Maybe it's December 31st. It's one or the other. New Year's mm -hmm. Eve or New Year's Day. And for some reason, Flash was in the Bahamas. And I was hanging out with him on December 30th, the night before my gig. Now, first of all, I don't say that lightly. So let's just talk about that for right. a second. <laughs> Just happen to just have that. I'm hanging out with Grandmaster Flash. Your idol. There is no DJ or member of the hip hop community that should not. Uh, what's the word? Uh, that should not have an out of body experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you hanging got out to. with Grandmaster Flash. Yeah. Aside from so many things that Flash did to create, not only what we do as DJs, but hip hop culture that has taken over planet Earth. Facts. He kind of invented the art of scratching and cueing records on a mixer, like almost invented the technology, like took apart machines to invent it. And the part of using the scratch to cue a record and wiring a mixer so you could hear one side while playing another. So here's a story. I'm having dinner with Flash in town. Mm -hmm. It's like a touristy um, like section of the Bahamas. And we're walking down the street after dinner, and there's a restaurant with all glass windows. And in the window is a DJ, and his back is facing the street. And he's facing... The people. Yeah, the people. Mm -hmm. And he's playing hip-hop, and he has two turntables and a mixer. And me and Flash walk right by, and then I stop, and I look back, and I said, Flash, wait, come back here one second. I said, do you see this? He goes, yeah, what? I said, do you think this guy knows that the man who invented everything he's doing, doing is right standing here. right behind him. That's and like I, seeing Steve Jobs and you got an iPhone 9000. It's like walking past the Apple store yeah. with Steve Jobs. Yeah, exactly. And everyone's shopping for a new phone or laptop and no one's noticing him. Right. And you say, Steve, do you think anyone knows that the man who put this device in everyone's hands around the world standing right here... And Flash is so humble and so nice and and so not that guy. Right. He didn't even really know what to say. He didn't even really, he doesn't, if he thinks about himself in that way, he doesn't express it. Right. At least He's a very humble guy. And that's such a beautiful thing. You know, my only dream, you know, people say to me, oh, could you ever have, I never dreamt about being the first DJ to ever DJ in the White House. I never dreamt about being the first DJ to ever play a presidential inauguration. I know. <laughs> I never, I never dreamt about having, um, um, you know, a TV show and starring in a TV show as a DJ. But what I did dream about as a 10, 11, 12, 13 year old was... I wanted my favorite rappers to know my name. Yeah. For me, if Tretch knew my <sighs> name. You was happy as fuck. 
I could die a happy kid. Hey, man, if Tretch knew my name, we were both from Jersey. <laughs> and I remember I remember seeing Tretch, like, before they, before Naughty got big, right? So it, it's kind of like they're like doing— pre-OPP or we're, during OPP? We're talking pre-OPP. This is a true story. They're, like, doing little gigs. They're popping around. Like They actually know. had another group name before Naughty by Nature, The New Style. So this might have so, even been during so the they new was style. new style. They were new style. So cut to I'm doing comedy in Jersey. They Jersey ill town. You know we doing our thing. And you know Tretch. Hopefully one day I will be able to fill this story with him when he's here. So I'm we kind of coming up together. Like yo, you getting on? Yeah, man, we doing our thing. Van Rock, you know KG, we doing our thing. I get on MTV. Oh my God! Here come Naughty. By motherfucking nature, I said, "Oh, every time I'm t I'm saying something about this video. This one's from the heart because I remember the new style, doom, boom, 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 stretch coming up with the chainsaw stuff way before chainsaws was really something to do, and the big, the big chain, the, like yeah, the big chain. The, I'm talking about it wasn't even a chain; it was like something you, you it was a you, lock, like a lock you put yeah, on it was a, a bank." But yeah. he was walking with that on his chest yeah. and with, with a big master lock on it or something crazy. When, when Naughty by Nature made it to MTV, I felt like you felt like that we, we're, we're, we're in the same thing together. We have made it or we are making it as one. It, it was the best feeling in the world. I can't imagine. What Just, year did you start on MTV? I started on, in 91. You started in 91. So what show was it then? It was called, it was it was Fade to Back initially, and uh, Todd One was hosting. Right. But he was he was leaving. And so right as I was coming in, Al B. Sure hosted. They tried Al B. Sure for a few seconds. We always laugh about this because Al B. Sure used to always have the chain over his hand like this. And he was always, how y'all doing? This is uh, Fade to Black with Al B. You know, with the deep it's voice. very smooth. Very smooth. But I came in with all this, ah! Like I was like Buster Rhymes, yeah. so I came with all this fun energy, crazy, and it, it took off. And it, then they switched it to MTV Jams. Right. So now I am representing all of the hip hop plus R and B. So I had a bigger pot. So I'm getting Naughty. I'm getting TLC. Right. I'm getting uh, uh, Boys to Men. So that's how I that's how I blew up. And these are all my friends. So let me give you your flowers for a second because we up? talked about mine. <laughs> Well, it's important for me to say, because I'm sitting here talking about a lot of my heroes, right? Correct. As a young kid watching MTV, there were very few people who were at the epicenter of the culture who I watched as like the messenger of the culture. Oh, wow. And it was Ed Lover, Dr. Dre. Absolutely. And you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I grew up watching you bring us those videos. Mm -hmm. And so I said to you earlier, when I got a call to do this. <laughs> you had to do it. <laughs> the answer is yes. I don't need to know podcast stats. You don't need nothing. I'm not a big podcast guy. I'm not a big TV guy. I don't watch and listen to much. Right, All right. I had to hear. <laughs> was Bill Bellamy. Oh, man. Because for That's, me... Uh, thank you so much. I feel so nice. To speak to someone yes. who was so important to the culture and for that person to invite me on their show is a big deal. Yes. And, um, you know, your job at MTV and Ed Andre was so important 
because people forget that in the early 90s, you didn't have access to hip hop everywhere no, you like did you did not. now. You had more than you did in the 80s, and it was growing every day like this. Yeah. But you didn't have access to hip hop music, visuals, fashion, dialect, swagger, flavor, the clothes, the uh, clothes, uh, the vocabulary. Yeah. You were like the the vernacular of of hip hop. Certain words like MTV was literally like the Google of hip hop. Like where you searched and you found out what was popping. And Ed. Dr. Dre and myself, we were the ambassadors of the culture at that time. And we didn't realize how impactful we were because like you said, there wasn't many places to get the information. No, the hosts of Yo! MTV Raps, MTV Jams, Rap City, yes, and Video sir. Music Box Period. all deserve <laughs> to be on the highest of pedestal because you all brought Hip hop and R and B, which was becoming more and more of a product of hip hop at Absolutely. that time, you guys brought hip hop to households on a daily basis. Facts. So whether you were living hip hop or just experiencing it for the first time, it was so valuable. Yeah, man. And so all these artists that I grew to idolize, that years later on my show past the mic, I'm seeing for the first time. <sighs> How beautiful. Um, through these videos. So I just wanted you to know that just being here, sitting in front of this name, oh, man. is a very, hey, very important spirit, thing. Absolutely. And by Thank the way, you. we've mentioned some important names, and I want to mention one we did in Fab Five Freddy. Yes, Fab Five Freddy. That would never happen again. Fab Five Freddy, yes. Now, Fab, Fab Five, Five Freddy. Well, he was my mentor when I came in. The truth is, though, is... He, he holds so much weight and so much significance in hip-hop that the first thing you think of might not even be your MTV raps because there's such a list of important things yeah. he's brought to the culture. I mean, when you think about Fat Five Freddy, right, uh, this man was literally... I always uh, thought he was the coolest dude. I, I, the coolest. I mean, he just cool. Probably the coolest I, guy I, I, I of hip-hop culture ever. I don't even understand why he was so cool. It's just he oozed cool. Like Ooh, the glasses, cool. he, I mean, his hat, his his jacket, like he just looked like a cool ass teddy bear. And what's, <laughs> and what's the coolest to me about Freddie, and he and I have become friends over the past few years, which yes. is so, you know, such a surreal thing as well. He, you know, he literally in his early 20s was the bridge between a new art form called hip hop that was forming in the South Bronx mm -hmm. and the art punk um, downtown New York City scene. He was literally bringing people from uptown, downtown, and downtown, uptown. He literally brought Debbie Harry of Blondie to the South Bronx to meet Grandmaster Flash. He literally connected oh my God, bro. people of the art scene, Basquiat, with graffiti artists from the Bronx. And he had this... It's, it's almost magical to me. You know, I say to him sometimes, I did an interview once with him where we spoke to each other and asked each other questions. And I'm like, do you even feel that like magic that I feel when I hear these stories? Or did you live it to an extent where it's just so real 
that you can't take yourself out of it to, to see, feel the magic of it. Right. Like we've all grown up hearing these stories, watching wild style. Right. So it feels like some fantasy. of No, it was very real. <laughs> and, very real. and they were kids that were 20, 21, 22, 23. Absolutely. And there was something very special going on in the South Bronx. And, and, and Fat Five Freddy, who was engulfed in downtown New York City scene, which, which was punk rock and disco and gay and straight and black and white and art yep. and music. And he said, well, these people would like each other. They would understand each other creatively. Right. And he brought people uptown and downtown and toured them around and introduced them to each other. Like what? Like this, like this <laughs> happened. Even think of that. Like this hat, like everything we do. Right. Now. Or, I should speak for myself. Everything I do is a product of that. Absolutely. Everything I do. When bringing, I bringing, it's like, so your, your vibe now, now you're making me see it in 3D another way. It's like bringing all the best pieces of art to one exhibit. Ha! So beautifully said. Ah! So beautifully said. And nice. that dates back way before past the mic. That's my early days of DJing in New York. Yeah. Right. What was I doing and what were other DJs in my world doing? Right. We were kind of playing hip hop music, the realest hip hop music for a downtown New York City scene. And Puffy and Jay-Z were very much at the intersection of that scene mm -hmm. after Five Five Freddy, like a decade and a half, two decades later. In the same way Fab Five Freddy and Russell Simmons connected Uptown and Downtown Absolutely. and Hip Hop and Soho. Wow, bro, this is, this is a great interview. 15 plus years later, you have Puffy and Jay-Z doing that again, like, like times two on some global billionaire level. Now. Yeah, like, like and, billion, billies. And, and so I was a part of that too. And so, you know, I've just always been fascinated with everything that inspired me. So, you know, as I said earlier, my only dream was for Trex to know my name, for Run and DMC to know and, my and name, you, and you for Q-Tip to know bro. my name. I did achieve that dream, and it's probably the greatest gift that my career has given me. I've been able to travel the world that's a gift. Mm -hmm. I've been able to make a living doing something I've loved. I've never had a job interview. I've never worked a day in my life. But for the people who I admire, especially those that I've admired since I'm a child, wow, to be a part of my life in some way is the greatest Bro, gift that I could it's, ever it's, receive. It's, it's the universe. It's the universe <clears throat> giving back to you all that. It, it's kind of like, wow. It's kind of like, um, not to be corny, but it's kind of like being a seed that hip hop gave fertilizer to. You were a seed that hip hop, hip hop just gave you water, gave you sunlight, and you start blooming, you start blooming. And now you become this really amazing tree that stands out in the beautiful valley. And, and now what's cool is all that it's given to you, you've given back. So you give oxygen to the game. You give life to the music. You give life to the artist. Like, it's dope, man. I, I think there's so much more for you to do because the, the, the intention is right. So I think there's no ceilings on it. You feel me? And um, you going to Milan, going to Vegas, going to these different places and playing for all these amazing people. It, I have a question. And on this show, we always do this thing called All Facts. This is where you have to tell the truth. You can't lie. Okay. You tell the truth. Uh-oh. 
All facts, top billing, DJ Cassidy in the building. If you could do your dream show of all time, don't matter past, present, or future, who would be your artist? Give me your top five. My dream past the mic show? Or, or, we can or do, my we dream gonna, live show? We're going to do both. I need more specifics. Okay, okay. Your dream past the mic show, past future present you can you can go decades you can do whatever you want but you get i'm gonna give you 10 artists then because five might not be enough for you you got i know you sitting on you sitting on 40 all right artists who have not taken part in past the mic who have not taken part in past the mic my dream show of artists who have not yet been a part of past the mic in no particular order let's go okay stevie wonder (laughs) lionel richie boom diana ross smoky robinson The Jacksons. All of them. All of them. Marlon, Randy, Tito, Jermaine, All of them. Jackie. <laughs> Maka. All what? of them. Reby. No. <laughs> Janet. No. Slick Rick. Oh. KRS One. Oh my God. And um, The Weeknd, Bruno Mars, and Beyonce. Okay. Okay. You showing out now. Okay. Cool. 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 You know, I asked you a little bit. You give me a lot. Okay, now let's go live on them. Well, right. live, I mean, live could be, <laughs> could be the same list. No, it so could no, be live, live is a more complicated answer. So everyone who's been on the television show, right. uh, past the mic, I would love um, to bring to the live stage to do it with live. And, you know, bringing past the mic live to right. the stage. I'm going to set it up for you. Ladies and gentlemen, past the mic live is in Las Vegas. Star-studded night. DJ Cassidy presents the all-time greatest live performances ever. It's three people. If you don't say their motherfucking name, we're going to be on the floor. I know that you got to say these three. All time. So, Bill. Give me ten. Three of them. Ladies and gentlemen. Let's go, ladies and gentlemen. The reason Mm -hmm. (laughs) I am not going to answer Bill's question (laughs) is because it's actually happening. So maybe, so maybe I'll come back. Okay. Okay. To talk in with Bill Bellamy. Okay. On breakbeat at some point. And, and, and we talk about and it. talk about past the mic live, and where uh, I'm taking. I got. Can I get tickets? Past the mic. Will I be able to get tickets? Is, is that okay? Because because you. I think you're my tickets man. is beneath you. It's I think be, you need like to be standing on the side of the stage right on the there. soundboard. It, yeah. Boom. Tickets little too civilian. It's a civilian for, for me right now. I'm legendary. Okay. But 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 that's all I'm gonna say about that. But it was always my dream yes. to 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 take it to the stage, mm-hmm. and I'm doing that. So let's table that um, dream for when I can come back and talk about it. Part more. two. This is a. This is going to be. This a, is part one. This so is we've part just announced one. There's going to be DJ a part two. Cassidy, for sure. I, I want to ask you. Um, you you are definitely centered, bro. You are definitely riding your wave. You are definitely well-received, and people love you for what you are doing for the culture. I wish you nothing but continued success. I'm definitely coming. I'm, uh, you got me. I'm you locked in. And, and I'll be do, back here to talk about it. How, how, how do people stay connected with you on your social? Instagram is my social mm-hmm. um, of choice, so everything's um on instagram hey cassidy thank you so much man god thank bless you. this is how we do it on top billing each and every episode takes you on a journey each and every episode we hope inspires you and make you feel good about your personal journey my name is bill bellamy and i holla on the next one the top billing peace peace
Crumb. That's it for this episode of Top Billing with Bill Bellamy. Executive producers for Breakbeat, Dave Mays, Brett Jeffries, Bill Bellamy, and Barry Katz. Production Tastemakers Media, recorded at Dash Studios in Los Angeles, California. Follow us at IG, Breakbeat Media, and at Bill Bellamy. Comment, like, and subscribe on Breakbeat Media YouTube channel. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever your podcasts are available. And visit us at www.breakbeatmedia.com.